Fantastic. Great to hear life in the house and uh, friendships being made. If you're joining us uh, for the first time this morning, a warm welcome. And we are in part two of a brand new series called Are We There Yet? And we're sort of going through what happened uh, in the, uh, the life of Israel just as they take possession, I guess, of the promised land after they've crossed into the Jordan. But that title kind of got me thinking, are we there yet? And uh, I don't know about you, but when I was little, I used to pester my dad all the time when he was driving and say, are we there yet? I don't know if you ever asked that question. I mean, obviously... We weren't there yet because Dad's still driving. And uh, it was interesting. I had a bit of extra time with my parents in these last couple of weeks. It's a bit like the story of the Israelites, you know, how they came out of Egypt, then they're in this wilderness time, and then kind of Joshua leads them into the Promised Land. Well, my parents, they sold their old house, uh, but they kind of had three weeks in between selling the old house, and so they were in the wilderness uh, staying at my house, like living with me, and then Joshua helped to lead them, so we shifted them (laughs) into their new house uh, just last week, uh, which was great. But it was great to be able to spend time with them. And as uh, my dad was was sharing, he said, you know, like, you would ask that question, are we there yet, Uh, a lot. But there was one time... Uh, one situation where you would never say it. And he said, that was when we were going home. You would only ever ask it when we were going somewhere, but you didn't know where we were going. We didn't know how far it was. But he, but he said, I remember, you know, quite often we would come here to, to Murray Bridge from our, our uh, place in the hills because uh, my nana and an uncle uh, used to live here. And uh, so we'd visit them. We'd go to the, to the drive-in. And uh, I was supposed to watch the first movie and then go to sleep in the second movie, and then uh, they would drive us home. But he said, you would never kind of go to sleep. And he said, somehow, even though your eyes were closed and you were lying down in the back, because it was in the days where you used to be able to do that, like lie down in the back of the car without your seatbelt on. Uh, So he said, somehow, you could track exactly where we were. You knew where we were at any given, at any given moment. He, he was recounting this with amazement. And I go, yeah, I, I, remember, I remember doing that. And I thought, like, why, why did I do that? I mean, I know that like, there was a couple of other probably better options that I would have had. Like, one was to just actually sleep, but when you're seven, you know, it's like sleep is torture. I don't know what happens between 7 and 40... I'm not quite 47, but, like, sleep kind of goes from torture when you're 7 to, like, you know, now that I'm, you know, approaching 47, it's like, oh, I just wish I had time to sleep. <laughs> but so I could have just slept, but that wasn't an option. Or I could have just sat up and, you know, it would have been easier to gauge where we were because I could have seen exactly where we were going and, and how we were getting there. So I kind of thought, well, why? Why did I go through this thing? Why did I make it hard on myself sort of 
pretending to be asleep. And then I remembered the reason why. It was because I wanted to make sure that I stayed awake long enough, but pretended to be asleep so that my dad would carry me in. Because I didn't want to miss that. And I thought, if my dad, you know, 35 years later, my dad is recounting this story to me, and he knew that I knew exactly where we were, it's like he knew too. He knew that I was awake. He knew that I was tracking. So he knew that when we got there, I was awake and that I could have walked in under my own strength. But he still chose to carry me in too. And I, I think that this is a beautiful picture of heaven and the things that are going to take place in heaven. That heaven is our home. It's our eternal home. But we've never been there. We're, we're, on, a, we're on a journey there. And so we kind of get the safety, we get the security of knowing that home is our destination. But I think God still wants us to ask that question, are we there yet? Have we arrived? Because sometimes, you know, on your best day when everything's going right and, you know, they pick the worship songs that you like and you kind of, you can sing with all your might and you kind of, it feels as though there are just moments, even if it is just for a moment, where it feels like, the, you know, the prayer, you know, your kingdom come has actually taken place, that, that we're, we're experiencing like a little bit of heaven on earth. And even in those moments, if we would take the time to ask God, are we there yet? Because I've never felt this close. I've never felt this embraced by you before that we can ask that question, are we there yet? And he can answer, there's still more. There's like, stay awake. Stay awake in my love. Stay awake in my presence because you aren't going to want to miss me carrying you home to be with him. So yes, we get to celebrate, but it's the now, not yet kingdom. And sadly, the nation of Israel, as we're studying through this series, sort of forgets this. I mean, Moses had led them out of 400 years of slavery, where for all of those 400 years, they were yearning for home, yearning for this promised land that they had been promised. And then Joshua, after... 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Joshua leads them in, seeing, you know, Moses got caught a glimpse of this promised land, but now we're to this place, and Tash shared so beautifully last week about this first win in Jericho, where they've now taken possession of the promised land. They're in the land flowing with milk and honey. But then as we're going to read today, 
once they'd taken possession of it, once they thought that they were home, they thought that they'd made it, they thought that the victory was won and that everything was done and dusted, so they stopped asking the question, are we there yet? And we're going to read what happened. So I'm going to invite Matt Long up and he's going to read through parts of chapter 7 and chapter 8 for us. Thanks, Matt. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they got up and they returned Joshua and said, returned to, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, "Do not have all the people go up, but let two or three thousand men go up and attack I. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few." So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of I. Joshua seven two to four. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads, Joshua 7.6. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up, why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I have commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things, and they have stolen and lied, and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. I will be with you no more. Unless you destroy the devoted things from among you, Joshua seven ten to twelve. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken, Joshua seven sixteen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give him praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua. Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among you the spoil, a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent, with silver underneath. Joshua 7, 19-21 And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear, and do not be dismayed. Take all of the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See that I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Joshua 8, 1 to 2. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night, Joshua 8.3. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, and I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city, Joshua 8.18. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua, Joshua 8, 27. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Abal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, 
an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Joshua 8, 30-31. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So they're on this high high. They crossed the Jordan. They'd taken Jericho. And then this defeat in Ai. They didn't pray beforehand, did they? But maybe it wasn't the fact that they stopped asking that question, are we there yet? Is there more for us? Maybe it was just all Achan's fault. It was just, it's his, I mean, you know, he was part of this new generation, you know, this young whippersnapper that hadn't come out through, you know, he hadn't experienced the slavery in Egypt. He hadn't done, you know, tough times. And so, you know, he became entitled and he became, you know, self-righteous and, and all of this stuff. And, you know, the next generation is just all about what they can get. And so it's all his fault and he just needs to have some gratitude and he just needs to have the TikTok taken away from him. <laughs> and so it's kind of similar to today, isn't it? There was the Moses generation that were the pioneers that saw the promise and led the people out. There was the strong and courageous Joshua generation who led the people in. But then comes what has been termed the judges generation. And the judges generation stuff everything up for everybody. So the moral of the story is don't trust the emerging generation. <laughs> Take back your inheritance. Everyone in here from the Moses and Joshua generation, because they're just going to waste it and take it for granted. Is that the message of the Bible? Is that the message of this story? I mean, when God was asked to identify himself, when God was asked to name himself, to name his, his purpose, who he was out of all the gods that people call a folly, he labelled himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That he's actually a generational God and that he wants to leave a generational blessing, a generational legacy. So Moses' legacy, as we said, was that triumphant exodus of the people out of slavery. And the Joshua generation legacy was one of miraculous victory in Jericho and leading the people into the promised land. But what's our legacy going to be? What's your legacy going to be? What are we passing on to the next generation? And what's God's legacy? What did he actually want Joshua to impart to this next generation? generation you see the bible is not just their story the story of moses and joshua and achan and it's not even our story it's his story and we can often read these accounts and we can go okay yep read that passage yep be like joshua strong and courageous don't be like 
Achan, entitled and, you know, self-righteous. Got it. But this story isn't about the faithlessness of the people. It's about the faithfulness of God. That in spite of Achan and others' failures, God's legacy always remains. God's legacy is that He remains faithful to His promise. We saw that in the end, they were able to have victory over I. So the one thing that they went to do in their own strength and failed, that when they did turn back to God, when they did consecrate themselves, when they did praise God, that then victory came. And we see that they were able to take the plunder from I, that if we keep reading and as we go on in the next couple of weeks, we'll see that in actual fact that there were 30 different cities that the nation of Israel took and they were able to take the plunder and they were able to have the riches of all of those things as they finally got this place, Israel, the promised land, this place to call home to call their own. So if all that was about to happen, I mean, if Achan had just been able to wait. But then we can kind of think, well, if God was about to give them all of these riches, if He was about to give them a home, give them a place where they belonged and a purpose and all of this stuff, why is He seemingly being so pedantic about one little bit of gold, one gold bar and a little bit of silver worth probably $50 in today's standards and this amazing jacket that he took. I mean, that must have been some amazing jacket that God really wanted. So we can tend to think, well, what is, what is God doing here? And we can tend to think too, well, yeah, God seems to get particular about little things. And I kind of don't know what those things are. And so maybe the the best solution, the thing that I need to do is just kind of keep my head down, just, just come to church and put a little bit of some coins into the, the offering box and as maybe serve a little bit and do some things and if I can just keep my head down and if I can just go unnoticed then maybe you know like the teenagers when they get their cars they can just sneak home without anybody noticing which is what I kind of used to try and do but that kind of wasn't the point it, the point is not just to get home to a physical home, the point is to be found in the arms of our Father. So, if home is our destination, if we're supposed to keep asking that question, are we there yet? And if we're supposed to be longing for the day where He carries us in, how can that be with our Heavenly Father God when I am 
sinful and I don't measure up and he is perfect and holy and righteous because I feel that if his hands come towards me, it's not going to be hands of love, it's going to be hands of justice and hands of wrath. They're going to come at me. And in a room this size, I'm sure <clears throat> that f- for many in this room, you might not relate to my story of waiting and longing for the day when my father would carry me in because what you experienced at the hands of your father was wrath and justice and maybe even injustice. But maybe the answer to this is not found in my sin or how good or how bad I am, how good or how bad you were when you were growing up and the reason that maybe you felt that wrath from your father. But maybe it's actually about the nature and the character of our eternal father or our heavenly father. That he's actually not trying to grab every last bit of silver and gold for himself. He's not trying to create this legacy of wealth, this legacy of success that we all in the West seem to be so caught up in. That if we can just be successful, we can just save for this and save for that, then we can pass on this legacy of wealth to the next generation. This is not what God is trying to create a legacy of. What he's actually trying to create a legacy of is a legacy of worship in his people. You see, although he was about to give them the plunder of 30 cities and an entire nation, a home, as this Jericho was the first city, the first fruits, he was trying to create within them not a sense of entitlement, but a sense of gratitude and praise and blessing through what we call worship. We think the solution to the entitlement of the emerging generation is to take away their blessing, to stop the legacy of success. After all, they don't deserve it. But we don't deserve it either. But through this story and throughout the Bible is weaved this fabric this beautiful fabric, more beautiful than the jacket that Achan stole, that weaved into the fabric of the Bible and within his people is this concept of grace, of us getting what we don't deserve, of us getting blessings rather than curses, the curses that was destined for us. And so God is mad at Achan, not because he didn't get all the gold, but because just like he'd stopped the flow of the Jordan to welcome the people home, God didn't want his flow of blessing to stop running through the nation of Israel because they failed to praise, which was exactly what they experienced with that loss at Ai. You see, Achan, as we read, He was actually 
from the tribe of Judah. We read how the tribe of Judah was selected. And Judah actually means praise. So when Achan failed to praise, to failed to give praise to God, when he coveted wealth over God, he actually failed to live out his true identity. He failed to live out his meaning and his purpose, the reason that he was created. But we can do the same. Praise, thankfulness, gratitude is meant to be our home. When we cry out, are we there yet? Our Father's response calling us in is into a deeper level of praise. Because praise is our home. Praise is our legacy. If He wants us to teach anything to the next generation, it is how to praise. And praise is one of the most highly contested things, I think, in the body of Christ, when you have three generations all getting together to praise. Because sometimes when we get together as three generations to praise, sometimes people think, well, that young generation and and their praise, that's kind of not acceptable. It's just loud and it's repetitive and it doesn't mean anything. And so we attack and we pull down praise. Or I've also heard some of the, the Moses generation say, I actually love like seeing, you know, the front two rows because, you know, we're sort of, we sort of still divide a little bit. Like, you know, the front two, this is, this is kind of the, the judges generation and then we've kind of got the, the Joshua generation and then we've kind of, if, you, if you're in the back row, you're kind of the, the Moses generation. Sorry to, <laughs> sorry to tell you that one. But some they say, I like, watching, I like watching the young people at the front with their hands raised because they teach me how to, how to praise. But praise is far more than just jumping or putting your hands up in a loud, fast song. How can we joyfully give those first fruits of our finances to God when inflation is so high? Through praise. How can we pray with faith when things look like they're getting worse and going backwards? Through praise. How can we look forward with hope and expectation of that beautiful day when we do get embraced and and carried in? When I have failed and I deserve curses instead of blessings? Through praise. Not because I am worthy, but because God is faithful to always carry me home. So when I don't feel like it, I'll praise. When I've not yet taken hold of it, I'll praise. When his answer is no, I will praise. When I feel cut off, in exile, in slavery, separated from God and his people, I will praise. When I'm in the dark night of my soul, in the valley of shadow of death, I will praise. 
This is why each and every week here at Lifehouse, we want to give you the opportunity to praise. Because my words might, on a good day, be entertaining. But when you praise, you start to leave a legacy. When you respond to who God is, when you lift Him up, as Tash shared this morning, when, when we lift Him up, He will draw all people to Himself. So my word should always be revealing who God is and reminding you of your reason to praise. And so this is why we're changing the order of service a bit this week because we want to give you the opportunity to build a legacy in your life and in the life of generations to come as you praise God for who He is and what He has done. But all too often, we, like Joshua, see the faults of the emerging generation and we just kind of hold back in fear, which is why... Joshua had to be told to be strong and courageous, which is the theme of our year this year. But if I had to pick a key verse that kind of summarizes that next emerging generation in the, in the book of Judges, it would be Judges 17 verse 6 that says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right, in his own eyes. And so we think, yeah, everyone is doing what's right. And like, so we can't hand on to the next generation. We can't do this. But isn't this exactly where we are right now as a generation, as, as a society, as a whole? There is no king in the land. We've taken the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, out of our schools, out of our legal system, out of the halls of Parliament. The idea of a husband, a father being the head of his home, the king of his castle, has been pulled down and destroyed. There is no king in the land because we want everybody to do what is right in their own eyes. You want to be a girl? You want to be a boy? You want to do... Everyone is free to do what is right in their own eyes. So it's not about should we hand on to this next generation? Should we stand back in fear and anxiety about where things are going because we're already neck deep in it. So what should our response be? We see a society that has turned away from God and they've gone to self-help and self-exaltation and self-praise. Whatever is going to make them happy, do it. And so we also see anxiety and depression and fear emerging in that generation because we were never, ever meant to praise ourselves. 
And when our praise of God dries up, grace also dries up along with it. Interesting how Joshua's response to Achan's sin is to tell him to praise, as we read in verse 19. But remember the focus of the story is not on how bad the next generation is, but on how faithful God is. The book of Judges and these stories in Joshua are not to tell us to hold back from blessing the next generation, it's to tell them that praise is the solution to their pain. That praise is the solution to the curses that we have brought upon ourselves. That our legacy is not to pass on pain. And it's not to go back and wait for another Moses in the wilderness. The aim is to possess the promised land, to possess the blessings that were always meant for us through praise. We are to pass on praise. Turn to the person next to you and say, pass on praise. You see, the book of Judges and Ruth and even on into Samuel, as we look at the, the overall arc of what's happening throughout this part of uh, this passage of the Bible, is that pain gives way to praise. See, the next major ruler after Joshua, because you have all those judges and they're trying to work out what's going on. So the next major ruler over uh, the nation of Israel is King Saul. And King Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. Now Benjamin, when he was born, that wasn't the original name that his mother gave him. His original name was Ben-Oni, which means pain. But rather than the nation of Israel staying in pain, rather than passing on a legacy of pain, because everyone around them, when someone would get into power, when someone would get into control, they would then pass that power and that control on to the next generation. And so we would see king after king from the same family line. But God didn't want this for the nation of Israel. And so when they came to that place of pain, this whole story, this whole arc is about coming back to the next future ruler was actually to say, I don't want your legacy. I don't want it to be a generational thing where pain after pain is passed on to the next generation that I'm starting something new, that behold, I do a new thing. Behold, I am faithful to my promises to bless you. Even when you are faithless, I will remain faithful. If you choose a new way, if you, if you become a new creation in Christ, then you don't have to take on the legacy of pain that maybe your parents passed on to you because a new generation is coming and a new day is coming. And so rather than just passing on to Saul's son... It transitioned to King David. And David comes 
from the tribe of Judah, and Judah means praise. So turn to the person next to you and say, from pain to praise. Now, the Bible is more than just a beautiful book. It is living and it is active. And if you're new to faith, you can read it and it'll speak to you. But, just like I said, as we keep asking that question, are we there yet? There's always more to God's love and grace. And so, am I at the end of my message yet? No. I always have more. There's more to God's love and grace. Can you track with me for another seven, eight minutes? Or we can just delve a little bit deeper. Because there's, there was actually more than one mountain. We read about this Mount Ebal where they went up and they set up this thing after they had the victory. And so if we can have that next uh, picture up. Thanks, Austin. There was two mountains there was Mount Ebal, which was the mountain of cursing. And there was the Mount of Blessing, Mount Gerasim. And so I'm going to invite Michaela up to share a testimony about which mountain we are to possess. Is it working? Yes, cool. Hey church, how are you? Good, that's good. Um, yeah, the reason why I'm standing here before you is that God would peel back the layers of my life, that you would get to see that time after time he has remained faithful to me, to the generations before me and will be to the generations after me, a testament of his love and grace, a story of redemption. Now, I come from a big family. I come from a family of 12. Um, soon Austin will put up the photos of my family behind me. Um, so, yeah, I have 12 siblings or 12 people in my family. I'm sort of the middle. Um, yeah, so I have six sisters, five brothers, 12, just like Jacob's kids. <laughs> it's, it's God, no. It is, it is, but, yeah. Anyway... When I was six, there was a family situation where my older sister and her partner split. And when he left, he asked me if I had any money. And I told him, I don't have any money. I can go inside. I can make you a sandwich. I can get you a drink. But, but stay here. I'll go get that. Just wait. I went and I made him a sandwich, got him a drink and gave it back to him. And then I said, can I please tell my sister that you're here? I know that she'll want to see you. And he said, no, 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 I need to go. I need to go. I've got to make a trip back home, which is two hours away. And I said, okay, I love you. Take care. And I never saw him again. I told my other sister that I'd seen him and that I'd made him food. And she told my oldest sister. My oldest sister found out and she called me out and she said, why didn't you tell me he was here? I said, he didn't want me to. And she looked at me and she said, you're the reason that he left and I'll never forgive you. Not long after that, she committed suicide. And in that note, she said, the reason why is because I couldn't bear the pain of him leaving. 
And as a six-year-old, I carried that weight, that pain that my sister's death was on my shoulders because I never told her that he was there. And for years, I struggled. I couldn't bear the thought that my sister died because I couldn't do anything because I didn't tell her. And so I struggled with suicide. Time and time again, I try to take my life because how could I live a life when my sister died because of me? And this I carried for so long, time and time again. How could I occupy the mountain of praise while my sister was still standing on that mountain of pain? How could I? How could I stand here living in blessing when she died in curses? And there's a verse in Isaiah 53, verse 5 to 6, that got me through. And it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And there's a song that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say for you. It's called Soon. And this song gives me hope. It says, Soon and very soon I'll be going to the place he has prepared for me. There my sin erased, my shame forgotten. Soon and very soon I will be with the one I love. With unveiled face I'll see him. There my soul will be satisfied. Soon and very soon. Though I have not seen him, my heart knows him well. Jesus Christ, the Lamb, the Lord of heaven. What's give, what gives me hope is this. It's Jesus Christ. Standing with Jesus on the mountain of praise, declaring his name and praise, calling my family forth to Jesus and blessing on that mountain of praise. I have hope that my nieces and my nephews will stand on that mountain of praise with me. My siblings will stand on that mountain of praise with me. But the only way that I'll see them come forth is by standing on the mountain of praise, not going back to the mountain of pain that I would stand with them, but standing on the mountain of praise, declaring God's praise over them, declaring blessing that they will not stay in pain, they will not stay in anguish, but they will see the light of Jesus and the light of day come to pass on that mountain of praise. So good. <clears throat> so how can we make sure that we occupy that mountain of praise? If we can have that next picture up. Thanks, Austin. This is Mount Ebal as it looks today. So we read that at the end of the, the, the passage that we read, we read that Joshua went up onto this very mountain. And... In 2019, we're going to have that next one up. This was discovered in this very place. Now, this just looks like not a lot, like just like a little tiny piece of rock uh, that's just been etched with a few little squiggles. And I put this up to encourage your faith 
and to show you that, that these stories are true because there's a growing thing in scholarship where it's trying to say, well, we don't think that Moses actually wrote the first five books of the Bible and we don't think that Joshua actually wrote the book of Joshua because this was like 3,200 years ago that all this stuff took place and the Israelites, they didn't even have written language back then. So it must have been written later to just... And maybe the events didn't really happen the way that it said. It wasn't miraculous, it wasn't whatever, uh, because it was written so much later and they're just moral teachings to just give us an understanding. But in 2019, so just in December of 2019, this was found on Mount Ebal and it is dated at 3,000... 200 years old and those little etchings and those little carvings not only do they contain the name of God the name of Yahweh it's the first recorded uh, writing of the name of God but it contains all of the curses that it said in the scriptures in Deuteronomy 27 and also that we just read about in Joshua 8, that they were to stand up on that mountain, Mount Ebal, and proclaim. So we can't know for sure, but it was the exact place at the exact time and contained the exact content of the Bible. So there is a possibility that Joshua himself wrote that. That this is an amazing legacy. But as amazing as that is, it should have actually never been. Because even though they were told to go up, let's read in Deuteronomy 27 where they're given this list of blessings and this list of curses. But it says this, When you have crossed the Jordan, which we talked about last week, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. These tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal and pronounce the curses. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebdelin, Dan, and Naphtali. So one mountain of curses, one mountain of blessings. And they're told who is to occupy which mountain. Joshua was from the tribe of Joseph, which is the tribe, uh, was from the tribe of Ephraim, which is the tribe of, of Joseph. So he was never meant to occupy Mount Ebal. He was never meant to occupy that ground of curses. I think maybe because of Achan's sin, Maybe he thought that now all of a sudden they no longer deserve blessings. They no longer deserve good things because that next generation, because Achan sinned and so what they deserved was curses. And so Joshua went up onto that mountain of Ebal and he etched those curses 
And he left that legacy of the first time that the name of God was ever written was in conjunction with curses. And he did what God said and he stood in the valley and he put half of those tribes behind him and he pronounced the curses and he pronounced the blessings. But they did it from a distance. They did it in the valley. But Joshua was never meant to occupy the mountain of curses. He was always meant to occupy the mountain of blessings, regardless of the sins of the people. And we are the same church. And I don't want to see a generation lost thinking that all they deserve is to stand on that mountain, to occupy that ground. Because of their sin, because of their faults, because of their failures, for them to think that they no longer deserve the blessings of God. Because this story is all about not the sins of the people, but the faithfulness of a God who will be faithful to His Word regardless of the sins of the people. So you might think, whether you're young, whether you're old, you might think that all you deserve is curses. That all you deserve is to stand at a distance. But God is saying, I went up that mountain of Calvary. I took the curses as Michaela read out. He took the curses. He took the transgressions of the people upon himself. He occupied that ground so that we never have to. That we get to claim, as Joshua should have claimed, that mountain of blessings, a mountain of blessings that God has in store for us. God is saying to us, stay awake. I'm coming back to finally carry you home to that mountain of blessings to be your eternal home in my loving arms. So let's stand, church. And let's praise. Let's praise our God with all that we are. Let's leave a legacy of praise for the generation to come as we proclaim His goodness and His faithfulness. And let's receive all that He has in store for us. Let's worship.